Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast. My name is Jeremy. I am your host. And this is the 17th time we've tried this. My name is Kevin. No, I'm not in the time loop. Yeah, so we read All You Need Is Kill this week in addition to this week's volume of Shonen Jump. But before we get into either of those, we have to talk about logistics. Well, technically, this was the last volume of Shonen Jump. Yes. So Viz announced last Friday, the day before our last episode went up, that they are discontinuing Shonen Jump Weekly as a digital publication. And that this one we are reading today is technically the final issue of Shonen Jump. Yeah. Instead, they are going to be moving to essentially a streaming service where you have access to all of their back catalog for a monthly fee. And then they will continue to simulpub all of their current titles that they're printing out in Japan. We'll actually be getting them faster now. By about a day. They're going to come out on Sundays instead of Shonen Jump coming out on Monday. Yeah. And the most recent three chapters of every title are going to be on Viz's website for free. So if you want to follow along, you can now do that for free. Yeah. And the monthly subscription is like two bucks a month. Yeah, it's two bucks a month for the entire archive of every Shonen Jump title that's been translated into English. Yeah, they said like 10,000 plus volumes or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, it's got a really weird restriction where you can only read 100 chapters a day. You can only download 100 chapters a day. I read it as you can only read 100 chapters a day. If it's download to a device, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I believe it was you can only download 100 chapters a day. That's probably just to save bandwidth so that they don't have people going nuts and trying to download their whole library day one. That does make sense. It looked to me like it was a reading limit, which seemed just really bizarre to me. Yeah, I read it as a download limit, which makes sense. All right. So, yeah, I guess that means... For our podcast, we're no longer going to have an issue of Shonen Jump to read, and we're not 100% sure what we're going to do with that. But the plan for now is we're going to continue to read every weekly title as it comes out. That'll include all the new stuff that wasn't previously in the American version of Shonen Jump that's now going to be available there. Yep. Which I did not list off what titles those are, but I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah. They have told us what's going to happen, but they haven't told us the format we're going to be getting it in. There might just be, uh, all right, here's the Shonen Jump titles for this week, and they've got like all the download links to the new chapters or something like that. Or they might do a compilation of, like, you can just download one big thing. But I'm guessing it's just going to be, here are the new weekly chapters in, like, a searchable disk bar. I don't even know what the website's going to look like. Because I'm assuming they've got, they're going to have a change to the website to be able to read all of the chapters. But... Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know either. I'm really going to miss the magazine elements, like the little previously on this series pages we got now in the back where you see the author's little comments every week. Yeah, we might still get the author's comments and maybe even the previously on. Like they haven't specifically said that those aren't those are going away. So we might get those again. Yeah, we really won't know until next week when we're recording our episode. And like I said, the plan now is we're going to read everything in Weekly Shonen Jump that's available on a weekly basis, like we have in plus the new stuff. And the monthly stuff, we are going to continue it to read as well, as well as the titles in Monthly Jump that were always free that we haven't read before, like Dragon Ball Super. Yeah. But we're going to stagger those. We don't know what their publication strategy is going to be on there. I assume it's also going to be simul. And we will probably split those up 
so that we don't have one double-sized episode every month. Yeah, so a couple chapters of Jump Squared a week. That's our plan right now. That might change next week once we see how that publication is actually working. And also if we end up recording a three-hour podcast. Yeah, we might have to trim down for length as well. So we wish we had more time to plan this out. We literally found out about this three days ago. Yeah, and they haven't, like, they've said they've been working at this for years, and I totally understand the strategy, and I get the idea of we found that by letting people do stuff for free, you'll actually get more people into manga, and that makes total sense. Well, they're trying to compete with all the manga piracy sites that are out there and try to get them shut down because they're no longer needed. Yeah, I mean, that was Apple's strategy for iTunes, and that worked flawlessly, so I don't see why it wouldn't work here. I just think their internet reader is awful. That's the one thing I'm worried about. Maybe it'll get updated. The app is great. I just don't have a tablet, and I don't want to read manga on my phone. Gotcha. I've got a tablet that I read on. It's fantastic. But like, I've been purposely buying this on Comixology, because their reader, while it's not great for manga, because it's really designed for American comics, it has a lot of features that the one on Jump, which literally runs on Adobe Flash, Wow. Yeah, does not. It doesn't even have like a zoom feature, except for flashes, which only zooms in like on the center. Yep. So I'm really not excited about that. With luck, they'll get their own reader or some sort of comiXology compatibility. I think they were really pushing the app, but I mean, maybe they'll do some, maybe they have some stuff set in the works because they said they've been in one of the, I think it was actually at the start of this magazine, they were like, some of this stuff has been in works for five years. Yeah, I saw that, and I believe it, but at the same time, it feels rushed on a consumer-facing level. I almost am surprised they didn't just wait for the end of the year to roll this out and announce it now. Yeah. But maybe I just would hope for more lead time because I do a podcast about this now. But I do want to say that at $1.99 a month for the entire archive, that's an even better deal than Shonen Jump already was. Yep. Which, like I always said, was the biggest deal in comics. So I'm definitely going to subscribe to that, even if I only end up reading the three three chapters every month anyway. Yeah. And again, if you want to follow along now, it's now even cheaper and easier to do so. And you can get caught up on all the back issues and... If you like one of the things we have talking about, now you'll have an avenue to go read just that without having to buy the whole volume if you wanted. Or you can continue to support Jump through their service, which I'm perfectly happy doing because, like I said, the app has been great. While this is annoying from a logistical standpoint for the podcast, this is actually great as a consumer because now I have access to all of their old titles, which I didn't before. So this is going to be pretty cool. All right. So with that said, let's get on to the final issue of American Weekly Shonen Jump. So the first chapter in here is a brand new series called Neolition, spelled N-E-0 semicolon, Lition. Chapter one, which is actually process one, Evil Wizard. Yep. So I like the title of this a lot. What did you think of Neolition, Kevin? It has the hackers can do anything craziness. Which I can't really fault for a shonen manga series to have of, oh, I have access to a laptop and I can, like, hack the planet. I thought the art was pretty good. The story, it was a decent setup. So I felt this was okay, but the fact that it was the hacker can do anything he wants rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, that's also a trope I don't like except when I love it, which is rare. 
Yeah. I like it as a dumb thing to be made fun of. I don't really like it in any genuine way. Yeah, it's better if it's a one-off thing. Like, how did you do that? Hacking. Not as a character's superpower. Yeah. Yeah. So, Neolition is about a guy named Diego Minai, who is in debt to the mob, just like Chainsaw Man. So, I wonder if debt among kids is a problem in Japan right now? Maybe. I don't know. I know it is in America, but that's a different thing. For different reasons. Yes. We're in debt to the government. Well, and to banks. Yeah. Gave us college money. Yeah. So Diego, again, looks very much like Ichigo to me. And he's also very much in that character stamp as well. He used to be a delinquent, but he's acting better because his sister had to drop out of high school to pay their debt and she wants him to finish. He was a delinquent in the Japanese sense of he tended to resolve issues with his fists. Like he wasn't running around beating people up. He was more like if somebody would offend him or was doing something wrong, he wouldn't just accept it. He would go confront them, which is a very un-Japanese thing to do. Yeah, I think I'm just spoiled by Yusuke Yurameshi being my like entry point to this trope because he actually is rough around the edges and you can see why people kind of treat him like a delinquent, whereas I feel like Ichigo and all of his descendants are treated as clearly this person is fine. He's just put upon by society. Well, I mean, he did used to like actually beat people up like that's even frowned upon over here yeah just but this story doesn't treat him as that was anything bad sort of i mean it still kind of does like that's why he's sitting there holding himself back of like i just want to punch this guy in the face but i can't because i'm playing nice for my sister yeah so he also has a job as a cook at a restaurant and the mafia that is holding him in debt comes in and want to talk to him But while he's trying to hold himself back from punching them, another student from his school who's younger than him throws coffee on one of them. Yeah, but he he plays it off like he was playing some phone game. He was like, oh, I was just holding my phone and shaking my coffee. So he like threw it back behind him. Yeah. And then comes off as very snarky and arrogant, you know, like, oh, the mobster's like, what are you going to do about this? He's like, I I wasn't even going to really drink the coffee. I just ordered it to look cool. So they take a picture of him and they're like, we're going to screw up your life, kid. But then as soon as they leave, he hackings the picture right out of their phone. Yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, I was running a trace the whole time that guy was talking. And now I have access to his phone, which is like possible, but not at the speed at which he does it. Yeah. His name is Arata One. He is a super genius. And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is fine. I have hacked his phone and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, so, I, dele- I deleted the picture off of his phone, and it shows the mobster going like, I don't understand how these phones work, because he couldn't bring up the picture. So Diego goes home and sees his sister, and he sees the mob guys leaving his place as he walks in. And she's like, uh, it turns out our dad had even more debt than we thought. So yep. we're not going to be able to pay it off unless I sell my hot dog truck that I use to make money. Yep, and the mobster had made an offer on the hot dog truck because of this. Yeah, but Diego goes to beg them to forgive the debt until he gets out of high school. Yeah, because his sister got a job immediately after their parents died, so she had to raise him. And he was like, the hot dog truck was the one kind of selfish thing that she did, where she decided she was going to run a food truck rather than just working a bunch of regular jobs. And she's just been sacrificing herself for me. And so he wanted to get the mobsters to allow her to have her one selfish dream. 
So while he's begging, Arata shows up and is like, yeah, actually, I can prove that you made this debt up because I hacking your phone. Yep. And I've got access to your phone and have been recording the whole time. So he plays a clip of the two of them talking about like, I can't believe these guys are so dumb. They couldn't figure out that this was a forgery. That hot dog stand is actually worth a lot more than we were going to pay them. Yeah. So Arata hackings them some more. He blows up one of their phones to light one of them on fire. One of the guys tries to attack Arata, but because Diego is a street tough, he's able to stop him and beat him up. Yep. And, and it ends with them kind of agreeing to join forces because Arata always wanted a minion that could beat people up. Yeah, and so he's going to take over the underworld. And he was like, some. I don't like most thugs, but like having a big villain is sometimes super useful because then like new people don't want to come into the turf. And so he decides, I'm going to become the big crime boss of this city. To keep everyone else out, essentially. Yeah, so I think my opinions of it are pretty close to yours. The characters, like I said, remind me a lot of Bleach, and if you look at our list, Ichigo isn't super high on it. And the hacking stuff would be okay if it was done kind of more like Dr. Stone, and they went super in-depth about how all it worked. But here it is just basically like, my superpower is I computers. Yeah. Which is not my favorite trope. I like it in stuff like Mr. Robot, where it's a lot more realistic version of hacking, where it's like, yeah, I can hack that system. Give me like three days, not, oh, yeah, give me 20 seconds and I can crack their firewall. Like, it's the worst firewall ever if some dude can crack it in 20 seconds from a cell phone. Yeah, I like it in like a heist movie where you have the hacker guy and he's setting stuff up and he's maybe one fifth of the whole plan. Yeah. But I don't like it nearly as much in action series where hacking has to be done quickly to resolve situations quickly. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's why I like it in Mr. Robot, where he's, even though that show is mostly about hacking, but it's at a very realistic level of, all right, we have to plan this. It's like a heist. We have to plan this for days and I have to get all this work done. It's not, oh, yeah, I just brought my cell phone into this thing. It was like, haha, now I have access to your entire system. So next up, we have One Piece chapter 927, Otoko the Kamura. So this is just a pretty simple chapter. Not a lot goes on. We cut back to the Straw Hats and Sanji's noodle stand. Yep. Some Yakuza punks show up and say, hey, you don't have a business permit here. And they throw the food on the ground. So Sanji grabs them and makes them eat it off the ground. Well, first they try and get him to pay protection money. And then he's like, no. And then... That's when they throw the food off the ground and clearly he beats them up and makes them eat it. I did like the joke of the little girl who they took her bowl of ramen and threw it on the ground. And then when they're talking with her later, Sanji brings her another bowl and she's like, oh, I've been saving up, you know, forever because I heard your noodles were really great. And I finally got here and somebody threw it on the ground. And she's like, my name's Toko, but always remember to put the honorific in front of it, Otoko. And she's like, but I'm not a man, because Otoko is man in Japanese. So she is a assistant to some sort of big celebrity who is like a super idol of some sort. Yeah, she's I... the Hebihime-sama. Boa Hancock. There we go. She is like the top geisha in the society, and she leaves... As her procession, you see some people saying, like, all right, we need a hundred stretchers for all the people that are blind and bleeding in the wake behind her. Yeah. So basically, this chapter is just setting up her as she's on her way to the Emperor. And yep. also, we find out that Robin has also been called to meet with the Emperor. 
Yeah, because she's been playing a geisha. Because they've all like assumed roles. So like Frankie's a carpenter. Sanji's cooking. Chopper's uh, doctoring. Chopper is doctoring. I'm not really sure what Usopp is doing. I think he's just He's wandering. a snake oil salesman. Is he? Okay. Yeah. He's a con man. He's going around being like, buy my wares. I'm Usopp. Yeah, that fits him. So yeah, pretty standard chapter of One Piece. Not my favorite. It wasn't bad. Just not my favorite. Yeah, not it like you said, it was a setup chapter. For me, the best part was that Otoko joke, which even though they had to explain it, was still funny. So next we have The Promised Neverland, Chapter 115, Jin and Hayato. Yeah, the kids save the two humans. They take out the three demons, and the two humans start freaking out. Are like, oh, I can't believe you saved us. Thank you so much. And they're like, wait, you're human? Uh, and this was after a little bit. They're like, how did you just notice that we're human? What's wrong with you guys? Yeah, but these two are agents of Mr. Minerva who were actually sent to look for the kids and help bring them to his shelter. Yeah, so I guess I was wrong and that wasn't some weird flashback and they're all dead. Yeah, I didn't think you were right, but now we know. Yep. So Mr. Minerva is somehow feeding all these kids. He's raiding farms, freeing people, kind of how we saw. Yeah, even the kids are like, wait, he's destroyed several farms and you guys haven't been attacked yet? I was like, it's fine. We have some powerful Nen users guarding us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching Hunter Hunter. Yeah, I, that's a good show. So Ray is suspicious at first, but they give enough details that he becomes mollified. He pulls the false information trick. They say, yeah, we can lead you to the base. He's like, yeah, it's over by the giraffe's neck, right? And they're like, no, it's over by the jaws of the lion. The giraffe's neck is the halfway point. So he did that they don't actually know where they're going i'll give them some false information to see if they actually if they respond just in the affirmative then they're lying yeah so they begin to set off but then chris who is shot almost like 10 chapters ago now yeah starts to get worse and he's not going to make it in time but the two guys they saved whose names are Jin and hayato if i didn't say so before i might have yeah, you uh, did. I right said the chapter part. name, so yeah, those are the guys. They're like, well, there's a way to save him. There's a farm nearby, so if we sneak in, we can potentially steal some medicine that will help him long enough to get there. It's a better setup chapter, I feel, than the One Piece one, because it resolves the cliffhanger from last time, gives us new information, and sets up potentially a whole arc, or yeah. just a couple chapters, depending on how the writer wants to play it. Yeah. Also, one of the Jim or Hayata, I don't know which one is which, has the same tattoo that Adam did, the giant kid that was like genetically modified to be like superhumanly strong. That is he dead? I, don't I wasn't remember. reading when he showed up, so I don't know. They have a small flashback in there of this like giant kid with this weird tattoo, so they're like, oh, he must be from the same farm. So, yeah, pretty good chapter. Also, a pretty brief one, but it felt like it was going quick, so that's good. And I'm excited to see how their stealth mission goes. And who they're going to take, since I assume not all of the kids are going to try to sneak in at once. No, I'm assuming it's going to be like five or six of them are going to try and go in, and then a couple of them are going to stay back to like guard the rest of the kids. All right, so that brings us to Chainsaw Man Chapter 2, the place where Pochita is. I like Chainsaw Man Chapter 1 a lot more than you, Kevin, so how did you feel about this one? I like Chainsaw Man Chapter 2 a lot. Like I said, the only real reason that I didn't like the first chapter was it was just one panel and the subsequent action panels that seemed really muddy. This time that fixed it for me. It just must have been the setting, and I just got confused by the art. 
I really like this one a lot more. There's than not last much week's. fighting in this one, though. There is a brief action scene. Yeah, but I understood what was going on in that action scene. Like, there wasn't even that much fighting in the last one. There was, like, what, two or three panels of that? But it was just those two or three pages of the, the action scene that really threw me for a loop. And this week, I, I got what was going on. So I think it was just because it was in a dark room. And I didn't have a, quite a grasp on how he drew action sequences that it didn't really stick for me. But I liked this one. So they go to a place to get some food because Denji is starving. Yep. And she says, hey, you can get whatever you want. He's like, can I have like some udon noodles and a hot dog? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, no problem. So they're waiting for their food when an old man comes up. and He's like, oh, it's terrible. And she's like, hey, I'm a public safety devil hunter. What's the problem? He's like, a devil stole my daughter. It's like, okay, Denji, I don't want my noodles to get soggy, so you go deal with this. And he was like, what? Why? And she's like, no, no, no. When I got you as a pet, all you're going to say is yes or woof. I don't want a dog that says no. And he goes from, oh, my God, I'm in love with this angel to, oh, she's evil. What have I done? Yep. So he goes into the woods and he sees this little girl with this devil and she's like, oh, my father beats me when I'm bad and this devil helped me. Please don't kill him. And then she's like, oh, I also had a devil who was my friend. Yeah, he's like, escape. Uh, yeah, because he's like, I don't want to. I can't come back having failed her. So we have to run away together. But it turns out the devil was a muscle devil, so it can control muscle fibers. So it was actually just kind of like puppeteering the girl and it attacks Denji. And that's when Denji uses his mouth to start his ripcord and goes like, oh, good. I don't have to worry about killing lowlife scum like you. Yeah. So he kills the demon. He brings the daughter back. It's all good. We don't really see much of the fight. It's mostly off screen, but that's fine. Yeah. And he once again collapses into the girl and she's like, oh, man, can you uh, even feed yourself? He's like, no. So she feeds him. Well, it's at first he's like. Of course I can't. Like, you can tell he starts saying something and then ends it with can't. Yeah. He also explains that he cuts himself with his chainsaws. He, he has that Wolverine problem where chainsaws come out of his wrists. Yeah. But, but he doesn't have the healing factor. Yeah. Or what they did in X-Men the cartoon where they built, like, sheaths for them so that they weren't constantly cutting his skin every time. So she takes him home and she introduces herself. Her name is... Makima, I didn't write down her last name. I don't think she gives one, actually. I don't think she has either. Actually, she probably doesn't give a first name. It is Japan. Yeah. So he's like, what kinds of guys do you like? She's like, ah, I like this guy named Denji. He's <laughs> like, but but that's my name. And then that, that's how the comic ends. So. Which is a pretty cute. Yeah. I Like I said, I really like this one. So this really raised up my like of Chainsaw Man. And because of the new way that Shona Jump is going to be releasing stuff, even if this doesn't like, we'll probably still see this because... Yeah, they've confirmed that this is going to be on there. Okay, so, did they? Yeah. I, I didn't know that, but, like, a lot of their Jump series, I feel like, are going to make it into their library a I'm lot better I'm pretty sure than, they all will. Yeah, than making it into the, the magazine, so that'll be pretty cool. Because there was a couple of those Jump series that I was like, man, I'd really like to be able to read those officially. But I think the only way I would have been able to do it beforehand would be to buy the volumes... I think the implication from what I read is they will all be on there. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Like I said, which means we get to read Teenage Renaissance David every week. Well, I don't know that that one will necessarily like. We'll see. Yeah, because we don't know. Which is, I wish we did, so we could say what next episode is going to look like. But you'll just have to tune in to find out. Just like us. Yeah. 
So next we have We Never Learn question 91. In the shadow of a genius, X inadvertently opens up. Yeah, so uh, this is chapter. Yeah. Is that good or bad? I really like this one. Yeah, um, me too. You just uh, you didn't sound excited for whatever reason. And I was surprised because I also really like this. No, I don't know why it didn't come out that way. But yeah, we start off with Yugia reacting to the fact that Ororaka kissed him and then told him about the overseas thing. And he's like flipping back and forth between freaking out about both things. Like, wait, you're going overseas. That's great. Wait, she kissed me. That's so weird. Wait, she's going overseas. And then I forget. I forget exactly how the conversation ends now. Uh, With Ororaka running off, basically. Yeah, that's right. And her friends are like, oh, man, that was so bold kissing him. He's, she's like, it's just a greeting. And they're like, no, kissing people on the cheeks is a greeting. Like, there yeah. is nowhere where you full on a mouth kiss someone as yeah. a greeting. Yeah, they were like, yeah, kissing on the cheeks. And even then, it's like the French, I think it's the the French or the Italian do the thing where they like kiss next to the cheek. Yeah. You like don't actually kiss people anymore. Yes. And so she starts freaking out. Meanwhile, Yugia is kind of a wreck while he's trying to... Uh, teach, oh man, what's her name? The one starts with an O, but I can't. Ogata. Ogata. And she's like, hey, what's wrong? And he's just like, oh, nothing's wrong. And she's like, cool, I need help with this kanji, but it's all stuff like vaguely relating to kissing and greeting. Yeah. So, so you she, can tell he's clearly freaked out by it. So, And Ogata's like, yeah, my parents aren't here, it's just us, but that's not a big deal. Well, because it's happened before. Yeah. And she's like, hey, something's clearly wrong. Why don't I hypnotize you casually? That's always fine. Yeah, he's like, I don't think it's working. And then he falls right into her bosom. Yes, like instantly. Yeah. And so she's just like, hey, just just tell me what's going on. And he's like, oh, all the girls in my life are amazing and I don't even know what I want. Yeah, he's like, you all have such clear goals and plans to finish those goals. He's like, I don't even have a goal. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Yeah, And she's like, well, you know isn't there something you want? And he's like, yeah, but I'm the oldest son and I, my dad's gone, so I can't do it. It inconvenience everybody. Yeah, this dream is too selfish. He's like, you need to be selfish sometimes. Tell me what the dream is. Yeah. And then the next thing we have is Yugiha waking up with Ogata taking off her clothes. Yes, in like her bed. Yes. So that's a pretty cool cliffhanger. Yeah. And very funny because it's drawn well. Yeah, it was drawn very well. Anything you want to say about it besides very good? We never learn it's always very good. Yeah. I'm uh, sure if we did an average out of our lists for the year at the end of the year, it would be on top. Yeah. I mean, I have some other stuff to say for like Jump Card, but nothing about like the plot or anything. So next we get Food Wars Chapter 291, Freakishly Talented Chefs, which is also kind of a setup chapter. This one is mostly just us seeing all the noir chefs that we've seen so far making various dishes similar to the chainsaw meat. Yeah. Well, I also like. Because I had assumed, just like you, for the last chapter, that that one noir made the dish and then all the other ones passed. And that wasn't the case at all. The other noir also had to complete the challenge. They just all managed to do it this week. Yeah. So it's basically just seeing all the noir passing and their various cooking styles. The bunny lady has a guillotine she uses to make cuts so thin you can see through them. But she's got, like, a ridiculously strong arm, like the Hulk you know, pops out of her bunny costume to slam down this guillotine. We've got the uh, clown who juggles his dishes. He's got like these round, like two round walks that he presses together that have an internal heating element. So he's spinning them as he's cooking them to make like a super unique dish that no one else would be able to do. 
And then the, was he the Crimson Extractor or? I don't remember his name, but he like uses syringes to get all the blood out of the meat to use it as a broth. Yeah, he's because a lot of a lot of cuisine is based around like the blood of the meat. And so he like extracts all of that. So he's like, I think it was something like the Crimson Extractor or something like that. It's Crimson something because they've all got names like the, the, I think it's just the clown. He's not even just the clown. I can't remember his name. But they all have names. The one chick with the chainsaw is like the sergeant of cuisine or something like that. Yeah. Because she deals in all of her cooking tools are... Weapons. Yeah. They're more like weapons. They're disguised as weapons, I guess. So yeah, not my favorite chapter of Food Wars because it's all set up, but it is some pretty cool stuff. And I have wanted to see more from these noir guys. So Yeah, I really liked them showing us what the villains can do, or at least some of the villains. And then... Interestingly enough, at the very end, we see the bookmaster talking with one of the, we've met her before as one of the judges for one of the Shogugekis beforehand, so we know who she is, and she seems to be, she's part of the WGO, the, like, committee of judges, the committee of WO judges, and she's talking with him, and he's like, yeah, I don't think any of the traditional chefs are going to pass, and she's like, I don't know, and we see Todoroki, Aldini, and Sukasa, right? Uh, yeah, Sukasa. Soma's not in this chapter conspicuously. Yeah, which I thought was weird, but we see the three of them like starting to figure out a dish. So we have like Todoroki mumbling to herself, and then we see a cool, kind of like cool tri-panel page of Todoroki, Aldini, and Sukasa like getting ready to prepare the dishes, which I thought was a good way to end that chapter. Yeah, maybe we'll see Soma's sidekicks do something since yeah. I've started reading. They have not. Yeah, they've tended to do a lot more previously, mainly because he's either been battling with or against them. Yeah. But they have done their own stuff in the past, so this will be cool to see it. So next we have Blue Exorcist Chapter 106, SSC Chapter 23. Blue Exorcist continues to go mostly over my head. Yeah, this is a lot of you're in the middle of a flashback that the character is experiencing about his parents. We saw the main character this episode, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was freaking out. He wasn't freaking out, but he was like, this I can't is not believe- what I expect Satan to be like. Yeah. Well, and he's also like, I can't believe you know that Satan's right here. Why aren't you telling the exorcist? He's like, the exorcist would like level half the city to kill this guy and it wouldn't work. So we're just going to leave him be for a bit. Yeah. So this is more stuff about the main character's mom and her relationship with Satan. Satan basically leaves right away after she lectures him about killing people. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically Satan is the main character's dad. So yeah. So he's like, and there's your father at one point, which was great. But yeah, Satan escapes and then they cut to Fujimoto starts looking more and more like his self from the start of the series. He's got the glasses. He's starting to get a bit older. Yuri wants him to adopt a girl because she wants to wait for Satan to come back because she knows his body is going to fail him and he'll be back and she wants to raise him properly. Yeah. Is that girl someone from the series that we've met before? Or? Yes, she's one of the like vice lieutenants or something like that. She showed up in Trade and Rin earlier, so we have met her before, and we knew that she had been adopted by Fujimoto, so this wasn't like a big revelation. Yeah, I we figured. Just, yeah, we get to see like how she was. She's also in love with Fujimoto. We see a flashback of her in the classroom, like, I'm going to get big boobs and marry Fujimoto. Yeah. Yuri is also in love with Fujimoto, it seems like. Yeah, she's confessing to someone who asks what she likes about him. And then this chapter completely loses me. So, Kevin, if you could explain. So 
we see Lucifer, his body is starting to decompose, and they've been trying to make a new body to go into. I'm still, like, we're still figuring out exactly why this happens, because initially at the start of the series, Satan is in Gehenna, which is their version of the underworld. It's like an alternate dimension where all the demons come from. And so they need vessels in order to walk around on Earth. And the stronger you are, the quicker you will burn out like any random vessel. So Lucifer is trying to get a vessel that can hold him because he wants to stay on Earth for some reason. Again, I'm like, I don't understand why. Mephistos, I believe. Mephistos. The guy stole Spider-Man's marriage. Yeah, can just hang around. But Lucifer is dying. And then right as that's starting to happen, Satan shows up because his body is decaying with it. And he's got this like army of demons with him. And he is attacking the research base to try and get a new body. And so he's talking with the researcher that created his original body. He's like, you make me a new one. And the guy's like, yeah, that took like years. I'm not going to be able to do that. I can maybe give you an elixir that will slow the rot down a little bit. And he was like, you bring me Yuri. And like, that's the end of the chapter is him screaming, like, bring me Yuri. Because like she said earlier, she's like, I know Satan's going to come back and I'm going to come save him. Yeah. So, yeah, Blue Exorcist doesn't do much for me. Again, it's another one of those things where this is probably a bad part to jump in on. There could be some of the other things where you could jump in a lot easier, but this is like setting up a bunch of backstory for stuff that even I'm not 100% on. But not a not one of my favorite chapters of Blue Exorcist. This whole arc has been a little weird. I'm hoping it'll pay off at the end. So speaking of chapters, we got two chapters of World Trigger this week. Chapter 170, Tomokama 2, Part 23, and Chapter 171, Hayusei Part 5. This guy should not be allowed to name his chapters. Yeah. So it pretty much bleeds together like most manga does when you're just reading it in a collected version. I honestly didn't realize that they were two separate chapters. Uh, yeah. Well, that's why it's so long. They take out the kind of black-haired captain. Yeah. But they don't get the point for it because he kind of left voluntarily. And when you do that, whoever does the most damage to you gets the point. And he'd already been injured before they ran into him. Yeah. And so we see one of the abilities that the guy is using is he summons these like cubes that he can shoot out like bullets. And we learn from the main character that he can actually like control how those things move. But he'd been firing them as if they were a different special ability. So one of the cool things that this revealed is people have essentially like a skill system of like you can only have a certain number of skills active at any given time or like that you have an affinity with so we literally see like a character screen with a bunch of empty slots and they're like well we know he has bagworm because he's activated that and now we know he has this asteroid ability which is where he's summoning these cubes and can shoot them out only it turns out he's actually got viper or something like that and so what he does is he fires some of the cubes off and then he leaves most of them there to fire on a delay so that they can create a three-prong attack where him and the other guy both attack at the same time that the delayed bullet showed up so that he's got even more stuff to deal with. And that's how they managed to force him to get taken out. But they were saying that the guy with the black sword dealt the most damage to him, so that's why he got the point. They also kill the fat dude and just chop off his head, which apparently he's fine from because we see him later. Yeah. Also... The little guy with the white hair or blonde hair or whatever uh, loses his left arm, I think, and it's just totally fine. He's just running around without the hand. 
So the leader of the team is like, oh, our plan was to curve bullets, but now this guy doesn't want to. I wonder what his new plan is. It wasn't that the plan was to curve bullets. Like, we still haven't been shown what their whole strategy is, but he was like, all right, so I understand why he was hiding the fact that he could curve the bullets from these guys, but he's like, why aren't you using it now? And he's like, don't worry, I have a reason. I'm going to pretend like this is Asteroid the whole time and maybe setting up for a surprise for the final match or something like that. I'm I'm not really sure. Neither am I, but the cliffhanger is that he has some sort of plan and we don't know what it is yet. Yeah. So it sounds like you are more into this chapter than you are most of World Trigger. Yeah, I got a lot more into this one because we were getting into the stuff with there's the point system, there's the skill system, there's like it's like more like a video game tournament and they're revealing more of what's going on and even clearly the, this has been something that's been revealed beforehand even the commentary reminds me a lot of video game tournaments there's a lot of uh, he plays this way in solo queue so can we expect that yeah here well i don't know pro plays a lot different yeah so i kind of liked it too although it's still spoilers near the bottom of my jump card list same because it kind of lost me in the middle so another series you've been down on for the most part is dr stone Z equals 86 money is the chapter this week. What were your thoughts on this? Eh. See, I like Dr. Stone, I think, a lot more than you, because it's kind of getting me again. I'm sure it's going to disappoint me in the end, but individual chapters at least kind of do some stuff for me. Although the pacing of it's really, really weird. Yeah. It feels like it keeps speeding up and slowing down. Like this, the last couple of chapters, including this one, feel like they could contain entire episodes. But other ones are just go by really fast or change directions suddenly. Yeah. Yeah, this one had some weird pacing where they've set out an expedition team to go find the oil. And we find out that Senku has been an idiot and forgot that Mount Fuji erupts periodically. So all the topography of Japan will be totally different because he's like, it's probably erupted like maybe even 10 times. Because he draws them a map from his memory and they're walking along and they're like, yeah, there's not supposed to be a giant waterfall almost as big as Niagara Falls here. So we can't go wandering around willy nilly hoping to find that oil reservoir. They also have this weird note about Japan seems to have a lot of natural resource, like almost every single natural resource. And he's like, yeah, we just don't have very much of anything. It's like a in part of the author's note. Yeah. Style like nobody's actually saying it. So, Ryuse, the captain from before, is like, yeah, I'll be your captain, but in exchange, you have to give me that oil field, and you'll have to buy the oil from me, because I have developed money. Well, he gets Senko to develop him oh, does money. Does he have Senku do it? I'm assuming he doesn't have any craft skills, so he has to get Senku to, like, give him money that he then starts giving to these, some of the, like, old peons, and he tells them to save it, and then... Senku is selling manga, ramen, and cotton candy to the to people who have money to try and make up enough money to buy the oil. Which I actually think is kind of brilliant. This is why I like this chapter. This is kind of ridiculous gag manga stuff, but it's treated seriously. And that's one of the things I love about Shonen is when these weird rules get put into place and just have to be followed. Yeah. And I love that Ryusei, a former millionaire, is just like, there's no money anymore. Guess I'll just invent money, and then I'll have it all? Yeah. And then I think part of what lost me is that Senko just immediately flipped that on his head and forced all of the stooges that had been saving the money that he'd been giving them to build a hot air balloon. And he was like, I basically collapsed your economy already. 
Well, he did that because the economy is based on oil they don't have yet, and they need to create this hot air balloon to build a map to get to the oil. I get that, but like, it wasn't him explaining to Ryusei, hey, we're going to need to build a hot air balloon, so I'm going to like try and make a trade deal for some of the oil for the resources or like access to my air balloon that I'm going to make. He collapses his economy through the mentalist performing a scheme to collapse it. And it was like, all right, Ryuse has invented an economy and is like controls most of the money. And then Senku like just looks at it and it falls to pieces in a single chapter. I guess I have the faith that Ryuse isn't going to take that line down. I'm sure he's not going to take that line down. It was just, ha, I'm a millionaire again. Bam, I've collapsed your economy and money doesn't mean anything anymore. I think it's going to continue to mean something. I don't think Senku's fully succeeded here, but... Maybe. That was just the feeling I got off of it. I've just been riding a, I guess, a down wave of Dr. Stone, so it hasn't been impressing me. I think, for me, I Dr. Stone's never my favorite, and I always have low expectations for it. And the last couple of weeks, it's exceeded those. Yeah. Because it's still pretty low on my list. And I think my problem is I really liked it in the beginning, and now it seems like it's just treading water yeah it's one of those sitcoms that's on season seven it's like i mean listen really you only had five seasons worth of content like you're this is the big bang theory all over again so next we have black clover page 185 dream encounter and speaking of series i'm down on this was a weird one i actually liked it a lot more than i like typical black clover chapters it had a cool like setup and payoff and i liked the way they got out of this situation yeah, But then in the second half, it was just these giant battle scenes. And I just, like I say every week, I can't stand the art in Black Clover's battle scenes. It's just so wishy-washy and I thought it hard was re- to follow. I thought it was really cool. Um, this one was supposed to be even more ridiculously hard to follow. It's That's essentially true. two people summoning CGI armies to fight one another. I say CGI armies. The one chick has like a knight and a bunch of like flame tigers and a bunch of stuff against this giant serpent and some like ice sharks or something like that. that They're like flinging at one another. I just feel like the way it's drawn, your eye doesn't get drawn anywhere. It just kind of wanders over the whole image and it's really hard to pull together what's happening, even when it looks good. I get the wander over the whole image thing too, but it all coalesced to me like there wasn't some big focal point, so it made me want to, like, go over the image a lot. So it took a lot longer than, like, I would normally in an action sequence. As I was going over it, I was, like, noticing new details of, like, hey, that's, like, a tiger made out of fire. And that's, like, a shark. And then there's, like, these ice crystals that she's also firing. And then this giant snake is being stabbed by the sword from this, like, giant metal knight thing. So... Last chapter, they summoned a whole bunch of exit doors. So the witch in charge just imagines all of them being chained up so they can't get through. Yeah, she can't remove the doors. So she's like, I'll just lock all of them. And then Magna. I'm pretty sure it's Magna. The fire guy is like, hey, imagine some more exits. And the researcher is like, yeah, that's not going to work twice because she's onto us now. Yeah, so they basically create a giant smoke screen and in it create a figure that looks like her. So that she will imagine the version of her that is a human that isn't possessed by an elf. They mention that the human souls are still trapped in the bodies. So she imagines the human soul. And so they manage to summon the real Dorothy. Dorothy. And she fights. And she's like, this is really funny because normally she's always asleep in any scene we've seen her so far. 
like everyone's like how is this person one of the night captains like she's literally asleep in or like super groggy or half asleep in literally every scene before this so it makes and now i understand that her magic is this dream world thing so that she's all like bright and chipper yeah so she takes care of it for him they all manage to escape and that's pretty much where the chapter ends yeah and it's really what happens is because there are two people pulling on the power of the dream world, the dream world collapses because it can't withstand two people trying to recreate reality inside of it. And then, like you said, they escape and then Magna and Luck make a combo attack to take her out. As the researcher explains, she was ridiculously powerful, but because she didn't take us out in a single shot, it gave us enough time to come up with a plan and she had bad compatibility because we were able to deal with her. Yeah. So, a Black Clover chapter I like more than the others, but that's uh, kind of low bar. And I, I really lost me in that back half. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then that fight scene in the dream world, even though this is the right art style for that, just yeah. really lost me. Yeah, this wasn't one of my favorite chapters of Black Clover, but I still did like it. So, last but not least, we have Seraph of the End, Chapter 74, Love Awakens. Yep, so we have you and Ashimaru fighting the first uh, progenitor. Yeah the guy with the angel wings yes ashimaru is like hey don't let him talk to you he can like hypnotize you yep he's like hey aren't you curious about your past and it looks like he's got you but then you is faking yeah and he manages to uh cut the first and then they're like aha we've succeeded but it turns out they hadn't yeah because he was just playing with them and then she known shiona shiona she shows up and the first was like, this is what I've been hoping for the whole time. Out of love for you, she came in here, even though that's the one thing she needed to not do was let down her walls so that now I can possess her, yes. which he does at the end of that. Yeah. And we see a whole bunch of vampires like reacting and realizing that the first is. The first is in Tokyo. Yeah. Because somebody mentions like, I think it's Crowley mentions. Hey, I sensed the first for just a second, and you can bet that every single other vampire also sensed that, so they're all going to be coming here now. And Shinoa is uh, turning into a vampire slowly. Yes. So I thought it was a pretty good chapter. Yeah, this was a good serve at the end. I always like real romantic relationship stuff in shonen manga, though, so I'm a sucker for that. Which is why this and Chainsaw Man rank very high for me. Yeah, and we have more of uh, the first was talking about how Ashimaru and you knew each other in the past, like past incarnations or you had a sister. Yeah, something like that. So lots of seeds for what's going to come next. Yep. So that about does it for this issue of Shonen Jump. It's a big one, but also like last week, I thought it was a pretty good one. Yeah, I really liked this issue of Shonen Jump. This was a good one to go out on. Yeah. So that will bring us to our next section, Jump Card. Jump card is the section where we rank all the chapters we read this week from best to worst, like a Shonen Jump poll. So do you want to start, Kevin? 
Yeah. So my number 11 was Dr. Stone. I've just been writing a bad feeling from this. So I just kind of jumped down the list. And really, I said everything that I didn't like about it when we were talking about the chapter. Yeah, my number 11 was Blue Exorcist. While I didn't like the back half of Black Clover, the back half of Blue Exorcist just completely lost me. Yeah. So my number 10 was actually Black Clover. Actually, like I said, I really liked this Shona Jump. So even though I did like this chapter of Black Clover, the art was a bit confusing. If I sat down and took a bunch of time to actually like look over the battle sequence, I understood it a lot more but it wasn't intuitively easy to read. And I was a little, all right, so we summoned the real Dorothy to fight the elf-controlled Dorothy. It was like, that was kind of cool. And then we're going to end with Manga and Luck attacking her. But it was like, I was hoping for some reaction to the four of them popping back into reality. Which we didn't get. Yeah, we didn't get it all. And they're just like, oh yeah, and we're still fighting Dorothy. It's like, yeah, but like, the top half of the Black Bulls thing was gone and like everyone like we haven't seen how everyone is reacting to the fact that half of their fighting force is missing or a part of their fighting force is missing. So So my number ten was World Trigger. I think we're both just gonna rank both these chapters together. Because while I like it more than recent World Trigger chapters, it still doesn't really have me. Like, the point thing, it's a good explanation. I understand what's going on, but there are still just too many characters. And luckily, we've gotten rid of two of them now, so maybe it'll be easier to follow. But I'm just really still not sure who I'm supposed to be rooting for or what people are capable of. Yeah, I'm starting to get caught up, and I'm only a couple of chapters in, but even I'm starting to pick up on who is who now for World Trigger. But my number nine was the Blue Exorcist. Like you said, it's just very weird so it's not that i don't enjoy it this is just not what blue exorcist normally is before this arc it's all been like rin i mean yeah he's fighting with the fact that he's satan's son and half demon and him dealing with that but he usually like fights things there's not this all right he's technically there but we haven't been listening to his story for several chapters now so my number nine was neolition i am not super excited about this series, especially in contrast to Chainsaw Man. Like we talked about, the hack the planet thing is not something I'm a real fan of. And the character designs leave me pretty cold as well. Yeah. My number eight was Neolition for a lot of the same reasons. The Again, I, I do not like the popular portrayal of hacking where it's like you're just like sitting there jabbing at the keys and suddenly you can make something happen. It's like that's not how hacking works at all and some of it was cool but a lot of it was kind of same like samey to some other stuff so it didn't seem like a super original idea it was just this guy fights with hacking instead of magic or a sword yeah my number eight is black clover i really like the dorothy stuff i thought that was a cool trick to get them out and i kind of like that character trope yeah but like i said the back half I just can't stand the fight scenes in Black Clover. Yep. So my number seven was World Trigger. Like I said, we'll just rank both of these together because I didn't realize they were two separate chapters. This one got me a lot more than some of the previous chapters with uh, I've been slowly getting caught up on kind of what's going on and the fact that they're, you know, bringing more of the video game elements into it was pretty cool. That and we're starting to get like 
finally get some resolution. Two guys have been knocked out, and the people are starting to rack up points. I liked the whole explanation of, oh yeah, he was like they didn't force up submission. He was like taken out by pure damage. So whoever dealt the most damage gets the point versus the person who like dealt the finishing blow. Well, I think the way I read it was because he retreated. It was that way. If you do get the finishing blow, you get the point, I think. Yeah, but it was he like he was forced to retreat because of massive damage essentially like the thing was saying like you've taken too much damage, you need to exit or whatever. That was how I understood it was like he had just taken enough damage that the system forced him to quit. But the fat guy on his team was like, "Ah, oh, you did a good job denying them the point." So I read it as a tactical decision to prevent them from getting the finishing blow. That's why the fat guy went in was to prevent them from getting two points. Essentially, but like he was still forced to retreat. So my number seven is Dr. Stone. I like this one more than you do. Like I said earlier, it's still not my favorite, but like Dr. Stone is the real dividing line. I did like this chapter of Dr. Stone and everything above it. Pretty unconditionally. Really, Black Clover I liked decently as well for an issue of Black Clover anyway. Yeah, so my number six was Seraph of the End. This is a pretty good chapter, but... There wasn't anything particularly wrong with it. I just think some of the other stuff was better. So my number six was One Piece for very similar reasons. Like we said earlier, it's a setup chapter. And I did like what it was setting up, but it didn't really do anything exciting. Yeah. So my number five was The Promised Neverland. I did really like the setup of this stuff. But again, I just think some of the other some of the other chapters did some stuff better than what's going on. Like the top of my list is kind of really crowded in terms of like which one I liked more because I really liked this issue. So it was just kind of like I went with a gut feeling, even if I don't completely understand why I ranked stuff where I did. My top four is kind of that way. Uh, My number five, though, is Food Wars, because, again, this is a very set up transitioning chapter. I did like getting to see all the noir and their deals, more or less. It's cool to establish them as villains, basically, or antagonists, at least. But there wasn't anything special about this chapter, I didn't think. My number four is Food Wars. So I thought the introduction of the three other noir was really cool. Like, they seem like even if they're going to be one-off villains, they're going to be cool fights between them and the heroes. So I'm excited to see how that goes. My number four was Seraph of the End. Because, like I said, I'm a sucker for the romantic stuff. And it is moving the plot forward. Shiona, I think, is my favorite character in the, like, four chapters I've read. Yeah. So I hope they're able to save her. but. I like what's going on either way. Yeah. So I forgot I had put this here. My Hero Academia is in between my number four and my number five. This chapter, it's actually, there's been a lot of setup, this uh, final thing. So Midori is finally getting into their battle, but not a whole lot happened in this one. So it was a good chapter, but it like not a whole lot happened. So my number three was One Piece. I don't know why, but I really like that Otoko joke. And I am interested to see who this geisha queen is. So I'm excited to see what goes on in the next chapter of One Piece. So my number three was The Promised Neverland, because like I said, from beginning to end, I thought it was a really good chapter. It resolved the cliffhanger from last week maybe a little too quickly. I would have liked to see a little more action, but I really like who these two people are and where the series is planning to go for at least the next couple of chapters. Yep. So my number two was Chainsaw Man. I so even though last week it was super down, it was just those reservations about the art style, which were mollified in this chapter. So 
I really like the stuff in between Denji and Mitsuhashi. Makima. Makima? Wow, Makima. I was way wrong. I begin with an M. I got that down. You did. I really like their interplay, so I'm excited to continue reading Chainsaw Man. Uh, but Chainsaw Man is also my number two for basically all the same reasons. Yep, and so our number one is We Never Learn. Because, because it's very good. This was a super solid chapter. Like I said when I said this chapter was weird, I did like it, and I guess it, it just didn't sound right to Jeremy, but this was great, and this cliffhanger was amazing, so I'm super excited to see what's going to be in next week's chapter. I kind of wonder if We Never Learn is heading towards a climax. Probably. I don't know how far away that's going to be, though, because I do know, like, even if Uraraka is leaving, there's still a bit more time before they all get into their colleges or high schools. It just seems like the stakes have been greatly risen the last couple chapters since I started reading. They probably are moving to a climax. I don't know exactly how close it's going to be. And there also might be something, there might be another arc after this, but they also, it might just be done, which I'm perfectly fine with that. I like stories that are self-contained. One of my favorite cartoons is Gravity Falls, which the guy wrote three seasons and he's like, that's it. I wrote three seasons. That's my story. Now, that's saying that I'm never going to come back to this world and these characters, but that is the show. I'm not going to try and extend it. I'm not going to try and put a bunch of filler in. Like, I had a plan, and I set it out, and I don't need a... Even though I love One Piece, which has been going on for 927 uh, 27 chapters, and it's still got a lot to go. Even he's got a concrete story. It's just massive. I really enjoyed something like the comic, which was, what, seven volumes? Seven chapters, yeah. Yeah, seven chapters. They were called volumes, yeah, were which called is volumes. I, I understood, but yeah, that so that was a pretty short one. That was a short, fun story. So if they do go for a climax, I'm going to be sad to see it go. But I feel like it's going to end amazingly because I've really liked the ride with We Never Learn. So, all right. So that brings us to a self-contained story, or at least the first half of it. All you need is kill, which will be right after the break. So we read All You Need Is Kill. The original story was by Hiroshi Sakurazaki. Storyboards by Ryosuke Takeuchi. Original illustrations by Yoshitoshi ABE. And art by Takahashi Obata. And I probably mangled some of those names and I apologize. So the reason it's got so many credits is this is the first manga we're reading based on another work. Specifically a light novel by the same name. Yep. It's also, as I said last week, most famous for being, at least in the West for being adapted into a Tom Cruise movie, which is called either Live, Die, Repeat, or Edge of Tomorrow, depending on your temporal location. Yeah, that was a really weird marketing strategy. I thought it was Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat is like a tagline for the poster. It was, but nobody saw the movie, and they decided that they would do better in DVD and streaming sales if they changed the name. Gotcha. And they were correct. Yeah. So... All You Need Is Kill is about Keiji Kiriyi. Kiriyi? Kiriya? I cannot pronounce this guy's name. Keiji. We're on a first name basis now, Keiji, because I can't pronounce your last name. Who is a soldier in the war against the Mimics, which has been going on all his life. The Mimics are these weird alien invaders, 
They're like meatballs with mouths that shoot spikes. Weapons are ineffective against them except for jackets, which are these mech suits that only Japan can produce because they're good at making mech suits. Essentially, the way I read it, it wasn't that it was only Japan can produce them. It's Japan is the last industrious nation with the ability to produce them. At the moment, like, Europe and America have been overrun, so Japan is the last nation because they're on an island that has the ability to produce jackets. Because they mentioned that, like, the U.S. Special Forces have access to jackets, so it's like a world thing. So they probably had more at some point, but they're down to, like, these are the final few factories to make the jackets which are these exoskeleton supersuits. So the story starts with KG waking up and his bunkmate passes him a signed confession for stealing the booze. And he's like, hey, yeah, we're going to steal the booze. And then whoever dies when we launch tomorrow, we're going to turn in his signed confession. So none of us get in trouble. Yeah. And he's like, hey, didn't I already sign this? So he goes through the day. He does a bunch of push-ups at a physical training session. He's, he's uh, Rita Vratoski who is the only effective soldier in the war. She's an American whose nickname is the Full Metal Bitch because this story doesn't have the best taste, who's known very well for her ability to kill mimics. Yeah, it's not that she's the only effective soldier. She's just like the most effective soldier because, as he explains a bit later on, most of the guns that they've been given aren't super effective against the mimics. The only thing that really works against them are called jackhammers which are these, like, giant piston spikes that they have attached to their arms. The problem is you have to get close, and if you get close, the mimics are more likely to kill you because they have an extremely hard exoskeleton. So he goes out the next day into battle and dies almost immediately, and then wakes up, and his bunkmate passes him the confession because he's in a Groundhog Day. Yep. So he goes through a couple of loops. He tries to escape, but he's killed by a mimic. He does a couple different things. He tries killing himself, but he just wakes up again. Yep. But he goes to physical training one day and stares at Rita and she joins them in push-ups. I think, no, that happened the first time. Yeah. He finally goes to physical training again on like the third loop or the fourth loop. And he was forced to do three hours like he was the first time he went through the day. And he's like, I have the ability to change things. So I'm not literally just stuck in the same loop. I do have the ability to influence the future. So he comes up with his rules of these time loops where he always wakes up at the same time. No matter where he's killed, he will always wake up uh, regardless of how he's killed. But he does have the ability to manipulate certain things. Yeah, so he starts going to his sergeant for training. The first time his sergeant is like, hey, have you ever heard of Kiryu Obereru? Basically, it just means you should gain experience by killing people on the battlefield. And Cage is like, oh, that's great because I'll have infinite chances to try that. Yep. And he starts writing down his number of loops on his hand. Yeah, so that he can help keep him sane. So he keeps dying because, as Kevin said, the only effective weapon is the jackhammer pile driver. Yeah, but well, first off, he's a green rookie, almost. So he's not a very good soldier to begin with. And then eventually he starts getting good enough to kill the mimics pretty consistently. But he starts running out of ammo because the jackhammers only have 20 shots. So he realizes that Rita has this giant axe she uses that doesn't run out of ammo. So he comes up with a plan where he sneaks in to the mechanic of her personal unit to get her to make one for him. And he steals something she wants to bargain with. 
Yeah, and we see that this is at like as we're seeing him do this, this has clearly happened many times before because he's talking about like this car comes by at this time and then the two guards look at him so I can walk over here and then the guard on the right looks over in my direction but because I'm hidden in the shadow of the guard to his left, he can't see me so I'm able to sneak in and he already has the thing that she wants like he clearly like eventually made it in here at one point, found out what she wanted and then went and stole it beforehand. Yeah, so he gets the axe like he wanted. He finds out it's actually really difficult to use, which is why they're not stock issue. But he starts to figure it out. Yeah, because it's super heavy. So the mechanic mentions, like, unless your balance is perfect, you'll end up tearing yourself in half trying to swing this thing around. Which is why she's like, Rita's the only person I know who can use these things because she's perfect. If you make a single mistake, you'll probably end up killing yourself. Yeah, and... Early on, his Sarge tells him not to use the auto balancers on his unit because they slow down your reactions by a fraction of a second. Yeah. And she's like, Rita's doesn't even have auto balancers. And like, he's that's like, how perfect she is. And he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah. He's like, I turned off my auto balancers forever ago. What's the point of bringing the extra weight around? Yeah. So he just keeps going through loops, trying to figure out how to get through the battle and save his squad, basically. Which start to, like, form up on him immediately because he, like, starts with this very impressive display. Yeah, he starts with this. First off, they were like, we thought you were bringing the axe as a joke. But then they watch him, like, take out three or four mimics at once. And the sergeant goes like, all right, everybody form up on him. Clearly that guy's doing something. Yeah. So he just starts kind of losing it. And he starts having headaches. And he's talking about how he set up a schedule of, like, I wake up, I avoid my friends, I go to PT. Or I go to Sarge for training, I steal the thing that the mechanic needs, sneak into the mechanic to get the axe, and he's like, I can pretty much do this in my sleep. And there's a scene with him, he's like eating the food at the mess hall, and he's like, this is actually really good food, but I've had it 85 days in a row, so like, I'm getting pretty tired of it. And the lady who serves them food is this super hot anime chick, so these guys who have a crush on her start picking a fight with him because he looks like he's on death row. While he's eating. Yeah, and he's just sitting there avoiding all of the guy's punches. This was actually a really cool breakdown of... So he's like, there's no way these guys will ever be able to be effective soldiers because they only think of seconds as seconds. They're not able to break down seconds. So he's like anticipating the guy's movements. Like, this is going to be a left hook. That one's going to be a right jab. And he starts like reacting to it. So he's dodging all of the guy's attacks. Yeah, we see a flashback to the sergeant telling him, hey, you have to like break down time further and further. Yeah. Slow it down, which I really like because I'm a person who at one point had aspirations to be a professional video game player. I was never good enough for that, but I did devote myself a lot to StarCraft for a while. And when I start really focusing on a game, that's how I do too. I start to feel the game like slowing down and it feels like I have way more time to react, even though it's still just seconds. And when I don't play a game for a while, it suddenly feels really fast and I have to learn that again. Yeah, it's also similar. I do martial arts training. The way we approach it, though, is your brain is way too slow to deal with time like that. So I need to train all of my body to think for itself. Yes. So the Bruce Lee. Yeah. It, I can't remember what it's called because I don't do martial arts. I believe his initially was, well, his is based off Wing Chun because that's what his master did. But I forget exactly what his style was called because he, if you're good enough, you get your style named after you. But even in, I do Aikido. And even then it's like my Aikido is not the same as my sensei's Aikido, which is not the same as some of my other Classmates. Classmates. 
yeah, that's not really the correct term, but some of their Aikido, like I'm taller than everyone else except my sensei and bigger too. So there's certain things that I do that other people can't and certain things they do that I can't. So we develop our own style. But the big thing is that you cannot think about what you're doing. I have to let my hands and my feet and my body just know what to do in certain situations. So it's also what Ultra Instinct and Dragon Ball Super is based off of. Yep. So he just like runs circles around this guy, but he doesn't want to hit him back. And eventually the fight gets broken up and the lady serving the food comes after him. And is like, hey, why didn't you hit that guy? Like clearly. No, he gets clocked in the face because he gets distracted by something. Oh, by Rita. Yeah. And so he, because he's not paying attention, he gets clocked in the face and the serving lady is taking care of him. And she's like, clearly you were the better fighter. Why didn't you attack back? And he's like, there's no point to it anyway. And she's like, hey, do you have a girlfriend? Do you want to do something? Like, I know you go out tomorrow, but that's tomorrow if you want to do something tonight. And he runs off and he kind of reveals that he, she looks like a librarian he had a crush on. Yeah. And like he joined the military because he wanted to like kind of find himself and like firm up to be able to go back and tell her how he felt. Yeah. And I didn't really get the feeling that he ran off more that he like blew her off. Like, nah. Kinda. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't like he literally ran away like he did at the first time when he realized, like when he tried to escape the base, or I guess he successfully escaped the base. He's like, I finally become a veteran. I'm able to kill all these mimics and it's not affecting me at all. And then near the end, we have Rita shows up and points at him and is like, hey, you, how many loops have you been in? Yeah, which is a pretty cool cliffhanger for volume one to end on. Yeah. It almost made me want to just keep reading because I got this as all one full story, which is kind of a pain because it's way too thick a book. But yeah, Jeremy had to ask me because he was like, because I got the digital version. He was like, so how long is your version? Because I apparently got all of it in one book. Yeah. Surprisingly, yours is less than half of it. So I don't know if the chapters get shorter or what. I think actually there's three volumes. Maybe. When I was looking, I only saw two, but there might be three. But I really like this. It's a good premise. Groundhog Day is a great idea. And it's really, really video gamey, but it leans into that. Yeah. The art's also really good. I really like the way the mimics look. I like how the guys in the jackets look. There's a great scene of, there's like an x-ray shot of Rita in her jacket. And you can see like all the various like pistons and all the stuff that's like connecting her to the suit that she's using. And that looked really cool. I really like the aesthetic of Rita is this like tiny five foot six person who's like she manages to stand out among a bunch of like six foot seven brute thugs during the PT scene. And then her with the battle axe is just super cool. One point he calls her the Valkyrie. All the character designs are really, really good. Yeah. I don't know if they're just really well described in the light novel or light novels often have illustrations. So maybe they were done there. But they all look really good. Rita doesn't look like a typical Japanese woman, even though she's drawn anime style. Well, like she's she also American. American so. Yeah. But you can tell by looking at her. Yeah. And the Sarge like looks like a black dude, which you don't get a lot in Japanese media. No. And I do think a lot of the character design was based off the original Light Novel illustrations because they credit him in this. So I'm sure he had some character drawings that they based a lot of their character design off of. And it reminds me a lot of a Tom Cruise movie while still being distinct, so yeah. I'm really curious to see 
if it ends differently, because that movie has a pretty Hollywood ending, and I have no idea if that's taken from All You Need Is Kill or not. Because it was a very loose adaptation, I feel like they modified it a lot. Like, I actually, I would like to see Tom Cruise wielding a battle axe. I think that would have been sweet, even though he didn't end up doing it. Yeah, well, you know, Americans like guns, Kevin. I know, but you could put a gun on the battle axe. I guess it worked for the Black Ranger. Yeah, I mean, how awesome would that be? We'll go Ruby on it. It's also a gun. So, yeah, I quite liked it. Is there anything else you want to say about it, Kevin? I wanted to keep reading when I got done, which is the greatest compliment I can give it, I think. Yeah, I want, even knowing, like, having an idea of, because I had seen Live, Die, Repeat, I kind of knew what was going on. I still also want to keep reading it, even if it ends exactly the same way. I want to go through how it ended. All right, so I think that does it for All You Need Is Kill, which brings us to our final segment. Personality Power Level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality Power Level is the segment where we rank characters from the ones we like the most to the ones we like the least. At the top, we have Izuki Midoriya from My Hero Academia. At the bottom, we have Haruhi Fujioka from Oren High School Host Club. And in the middle, we have Kei Anuma from Kiss Him, Not Me. Well, I really did like All You Need Is Kill, and I like the character designs a lot, I feel like Keiji's maybe the weakest design, and I don't really care for him much as a character. We find out a little bit about him with him being kind of a pathetic boy who joined the military to try and toughen himself up and have these fantasies, but I don't really feel like there's a lot to him. No, I feel like we might get more as the story progresses. Like we're seeing he does have the willpower to make the decision of, well, if I'm going to keep dying every day, I'm going to do something about it rather than like retreating into himself and like trying to figure out some way to break out of the loop. He does try a couple of times, but then he's like, all right, so that clearly didn't work. Maybe if I manage to live the whole day, I'll break out of the time loop. And so he goes with that plan and he's like, I've always, you know, I kind of always wanted to be a badass soldier anyway. So why not? Yeah. So I feel like my, where I want the middle of the list to be, even though he's a bit lower than that is Goku. So I don't think he's as good as Goku, do you? At the moment, no. So going down a few, how do we think he compares to Shinichi from last week? Who also, I feel like, doesn't have a lot going on to him. I think I like Keiji yeah. a bit more than Shinichi, but just a little bit. Like you said, they don't have a whole lot going for them. But honestly, I feel like Keiji's more of the lens than normal for this. Like, it's more of the setting. And the time loop thing going on. Which is weird because we get a ton of his inner monologue. Yeah. So, like you said, it's weird that it's like he's the lens character, but we, we're we not seeing through his eyes. I don't really know how to describe it. So, I do like him a bit more, though. I think he's got a bit more to him. And I like his determination versus Shinichi is kind of flip-floppy on all of his goals like i no, we absolutely must not do this and then i guess he's for the one thing where i don't want to kill humans he's not flip-flopping on but on certain other things he's like oh okay i guess i'll just roll with it so then how do we think he compares to ichigo kurosaki from bleach my instinct says to put him lower because there's a lot more going on with ichigo but i find ichigo pretty bland as well I think we should do that as well, and then if we go through the next volume or the other ones, I think KG might scoot up ahead a little bit. I think there's going to be a lot more to his character in the following volumes, 
So he will be a lot less blank, or he will essentially develop a personality through death. All right, so Keiji Kiria from All You Need to Kill goes at number nine, above Shinichi from Parasite, and below Ichigo from Bleach. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Jumpstart Weekly, and we'll just have to figure out what our new format is going to be next week. Yep. So please bear with us. As they say in Japan, please understand. You can see our previous episodes in the Personality Power List at www.lastpodcast.com. That's also where the link to our Discord is. That's the easiest way to talk to us. You can also leave comments, especially if you have a suggestion for manga we should read or any ideas about what we should do with our new format. You can also find my other two podcasts there, Last Time on Video Games, which is a weekly video games podcast, and It's a Gundam, which is an episode-by-episode review of Gundam Seed. It's very good, and I think you should check it out. If you want to support this podcast, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is best. Or you can just tell a friend if you think they would like to listen to us, or especially tell them that all the manga we talk about is now free. Our opening theme was Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fistfight by Tom W. Emmerich. Other music is by Spectacular Spanish Productions. And our cover art is by Kate Wind on DeviantArt. Please give her a look if you need any commissions. Anything you want to plug, Kevin? So next week, we're going to be talking about Attack on Titan by Hajime Isayama. All right, we will see you next week. content theme song it's bonus content for listening through the ending theme it was pretty good i liked it more when it was called edge of tomorrow though yeah i think that's a better title is it actually 17 i don't think it is i have 17 you it's on my hand oh okay oh i got it it was a joke